What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. It only took two years for Tinder to get to around 50 million users and over a billion swipes per day. Oh, and then there's that pesky reputation for being all about the hookup. Tinder makes you gross. There was a time when you'd be more selective, when you were horny and feeling erective. Now one swipe and there's thousands to bone, all from a sex app you use on your phone. That's the Tinder. Gross or not, when Family Guy is doing multiple episodes about you, it's safe to say you've reached icon status. This is Bizography, the show where we dive into the strange but true stories of iconic companies. Whether they're a current bright star in the midst of a massive dumpster fire or settling into the dust heap of history, they all have a past worth knowing. I'm Dana Barrett. I'm a former tech executive, an entrepreneur, and a TV and radio host. And over the course of my career, I've interviewed thousands of business leaders and reported on the bright beginnings and massive flameouts of the brands we know and love. Some of their stories are inspiring, some get my blood boiling, and some have changed the way we live. Today, we're swiping right on the story of Tinder. And with me, as always, is my producer, New Guy Nick. All right, so I do have to ask, though, Dana, have you ever used or been on Tinder? I have not. I have not ever swiped right or left. And you, young millennial sir? Uh, I, I tried it for a short time, and I did a couple swipes, but I never really got into it very much. So I would say technically no. Okay, wait, you can't, mm, there is no, <laughs> there is no gray area here. It's either yes or no. Yes, yes, I have. And yes, I swiped right and left. Fair enough. All right, so I, I just have to ask for some details here. How <laughs> old were you when you was, were swiping? It's like right after high school. So like 20-ish, 21, 22 maybe. Okay. And be honest, mm -hmm. were you looking for a girlfriend or a hookup? I was looking for a girlfriend, which is part of the reason I stopped using it. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, this is one of those moments where I wish this was a video podcast because your facial expressions in this moment are truly priceless. By the time Tinder came out, I was in a serious relationship, which I did actually start via online dating. So I probably would have at least tried it if the timing had been different right. when it first came out. But I actually don't think it's aimed, it's really aimed at a pretty young audience. Absolutely. It's definitely aimed more towards the millennial who's first instinct, and that's why you just pop it right or pop it left. Just go right off the feel. Pop it right or pop it left. See, that I, sounds like a new song. I think, I think that's kind of the initial thought, though. It was less of the swiping right for confirmation and swiping left to deny them and more just like, yeah, no, yeah, no. So it was right. real quick. Right. Well, we're going to get into all of that because that's the gamification part of it. That's what made it, I think, part of what made it what it is. Well, the reality is Tinder is not an old company. A lot of the companies we're talking about in bizography are these companies from the 1800s. This is a brand new company. Tinder was launched in September of 2012, so it was hardly the first online dating tool. It wasn't even the first app. So what elevated Tinder over its competitors? What elevates one brand to icon status over another? And today's icon could be tomorrow's fond memory. So is Tinder here to stay? As I said, I actually met my last boyfriend on an online dating site. And when people would ask how we met, I would always jokingly say the old-fashioned way, online. I was joking. But when I started doing research uh, for our Tinder episode, I realized I was actually more right than I thought. People have been using technology, I'm air quoting it, for a long time to find love. Right. I think that's kind of the norm. You're right. You don't do the bar thing anymore. And it's been since I was probably in middle school, I remember seeing the TV commercials for Find Love Online. Right. But I think you, you're you sort of saying like you don't, th even you saying you don't do the bar thing anymore makes it seem like there was this time when we all met and, you know, fell in love in person, you know, or our families like arranged marriages or your friends introduced you to people or maybe everybody met in high school a la Greece. As a millennial, I've always known the online dating being the main way. That's not how you guys did it before? You didn't just walk into bars and find well, love? we did. We did. Well, we walked into bars and found something. <laughs> um, but sometimes it was an STD. I'm just saying. Not me personally. Just saying. But really, the reality is that ever since there was any kind of technology, people found a way to use it to find love and sex. It started, believe it or not, all the way back in 1685. Yes. What, that, there was like a, what, lomacho.com from way back then? I can't even think. <laughs> uh, uh, How would you even say that in old English? Yes, ye oldie match.com. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know. But, but here's the reality. The printing press was the technology of the time. Um, that was high tech. Before that, they were handwriting, you know, any kind of public messaging. And then the printing press came along. And in 1685, that's the earliest known personal ad, was actually in a British agricultural journal of all things. You know, the farmers, they get horny. And the publisher of that periodical realized pretty early on that this was going to be a nice little revenue stream for him. So that continued on. And of course, of all the early ads, you know, think about the times as much as we know about them. All the ads were placed by men. But it turns out even gay men back in the really early days, were in on this. Back in the 1700s, gay men 
were using personal ads to find each other. But of course, they had to use coded messages because homosexuality was mostly illegal at the time in all of the Western countries, essentially. So they had to refer to themselves as, wait for it, musical or unconventional. Those were some of the code words they used to find each other. That's really interesting, though, that they had that kind of little secret coding back and forth. And Right. So they might say something like, you know, businessman looking for unconventional mate. Interesting. Or something like that. Or unconventional businessman looking for companionship or something like that. That's right? really interesting to think of. That's how they had to go about right. it. Because, and I wonder how many of them had to like very gently kind of let down the women that responded. Right? Because yeah. obviously that's going to happen. I assume it did happen. <laughs> In 1727, though, the first woman decided to give the online dating of the day, the personal ads, a try. Her name was Helen Morrison. She was an English woman, and she placed an ad in the Manchester Weekly Journal. It just said something really simple like, seeking someone nice to spend her life with. That's all she was looking for. Oh, Helen. If that were now, it might have gone something like this. Leonard Hofstetter, will you marry me? Um. (laughs) Did you seriously just say, um? But instead, the man that responded to Helen was not the man of her dreams. In fact, it was the mayor who had her committed to an insane asylum for four weeks. Oh, come on, man. What a block. I won't say the other word for decency's sake, but come on, man. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, can you imagine? Think about that now. I mean, I want to digress here for a second and just get your take on this, because I still think it's a little bit controversial for a woman to ask a man out. What do you think of that? Uh, probably much more less today than ever before. But right, there is still that just little of, did she ask him out? Really? Yeah. And, and we can move past it, I think, a little better. But that initial kind of, what? is still there. Well, You're right. At least we don't get committed to insane asylums for that. That is true. Anymore. You don't have the authorities putting you away for having an online dating profile. Right. Suffice it to say, women didn't act as the aggressor too much after poor Helen. But. Dating through the personal ads continued. In the 1800s, personal ads for the purposes of finding a romantic partner became pretty mainstream and certainly became acceptable for both the aristocrats, you know, the upper crust, and the working class. And then, like all good things, it became a little mm, ugly. Like all technology, there's good users and bad users. And same was true for the personal ads in the printing press. In the late 1800s, The grifters got involved, the scammers, and they realized that they could, you know, prey on these poor, loveless folk advertising in the personal ads. So the scams started to happen, and the population overall became more cautious, and the popularity of dating via the personal ads or finding love via the personal ads caused the popularity of said ads to kind of drop. Oh, that's so disappointing that they had the the first, you know— big way to go find love and then jerks had to go ruin it for everybody. Well, it just goes to show you, like we think about the scammers in the email era, you know, how early on it was like the Prince of Nigeria (laughs) needs a $10 million check. And if you could just start by writing him a $1,000 check, he'd be really, you know, grateful and you might even become royalty yourself. I just need that to wire you the rest of the money. Right. (laughs) I think it's just, it's sort of calming to know that those scammers have been, it wasn't just the first Prince of Nigeria. Like it, (laughs) it was happening even in the late 1800s. In the early 1900s, though, the personal ads had a little bit of a resurgence, but again, it was back to the agricultural community, those poor lonely farmers. They, of course, you know, didn't have as easy of a time as meeting people as the the folk in the city. But 
In those days, it was far less about the hookup than it was about actually trying to find, not love, but housekeepers. Yes, you heard me, housekeepers. I found a reference to an ad from the early 1900s. It was a wanted ad, and this is what it said. Housekeeper, 18 to 30 years of age, wanted by widower, 40. Have prominent position with the rail company. Have 75-acre ranch, also house in town. Matrimony for object if suited. Have boy, 13 years old, would not object to housekeeper having child, can give best references. Wow, that sounds much more like an advertisement for a job. But, you know, you can just come in and clean my house and maybe have my kid. Right, and I will be having sex with you. Very strange. So weird. Yeah, that was, but uh, I'm glad I'm not, you know, didn't grow up in the early (laughs) 1900s, but there you go. Also, of course, in the early 1900s to mid-1900s, personal ads became popular with soldiers starting in World War I, sometimes looking for love, but almost more often looking for pen pals, just looking for someone to keep in touch with when they were overseas in the trenches fighting the war. That can make sense. I mean, you know, you're just looking for companionship. Sometimes it's romantic. Sometimes it's just general. Yeah. That's all right. The other thing I think is when we look at modern times, we think that data and algorithms didn't really start until the 90s, maybe the early 2000s. No, algorithms have been in the mix since, wait for it, 1940. There was a company in 1940 called Introduction. They were the first company known to use data to match people. The company was based in Newark, New Jersey, and they used data to create matches or what they called them social equivalents. Imagine that. And it cost a whopping quarter for someone to receive their suggested matches contact information. Suffice it to say, this is a little tidbit that is lost in history because there weren't that many people using it at the time, but it really did exist. And then in 1959, some Stanford students created an automated matchmaking service for a school project. That one used the old punch cards and a questionnaire and the IBM 650 mainframe. It paired up about 100, I'll call them kids, men and women, Uh, college kids, but it never went mainstream. It's just an early version. And then in 1965, there was a service called Operation Match that became the first computer dating service. Of course, it's just a few years after that Stanford project, but this time it was Harvard students that created it using an IBM 1401. And this time it cost $3. Uh, to use the service, and it was based on uh, the similar likes and dislikes of the men and women participating. Believe it or not, Operation Match was used by more than one million daters during the 1960s. Wow, interesting that that's not something we would know a little bit more about. Yeah, I know. Almost forever lost to history until we now have preserved it right here on Bizography. Gotta love it. From 1965, though, to 1990, it was the imprint personal ads that really um, kept this you know, intermediary between men and women going as a, I'll air quote, technology at the time until the 1990s. And that is when technology and the creation of the internet really changed the game for the way we date. Now, we all know that the internet was invented in the 1980s by Al Gore, but putting that aside, (laughs) (laughs) the 1990s is really when it became more prominent with the web and AOL and Craigslist and Prodigy. Can you believe Craigslist was around all the way back then? Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know it had been around that long, but I guess it makes sense. That's, you know, where you find personals and really weird stuff. And and it still looks exactly the same. It does. It hasn't changed at all. Yeah. That was really when people started, I'm just going to say it this way, hooking up online, 
Remember this? You've got mail. Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks had an innocent AOL romance, but lots of people were getting far racier in the chat rooms. Remember the chat rooms? Do you even oh. know what a chat room is? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> the A, what was, I think it was AIM yes. at the time. Chat yes. rooms, AOL Instant Messenger. Yep. Yep, yep. That's right. And there were all kinds of different chat rooms on all the different services. I remember in the 90s. Now, in the 90s, I was, I think, just getting married. So I wasn't really looking for dates at the time. But I remember looking just to check it out and see what people were doing and being sort of like, oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that was maybe some of the first evidence that when you had a little bit of an anonymous online profile, you were willing to take it to levels you never would in real life. Right. Like I would venture into a chat room and some creepy McCreepenstein would be like, hey, baby. And I'd be like, oh, my God. And I'd run out of the chat room. Another one too, I have a question you may or may not remember. Do you remember A slash S slash L? I do not. Age, sex, location. That's oh. what they, I remember that all the time. ASL, age, sex, location. So that was like a question. That right. was like the, how you asked somebody. Exactly. You'd be in the big chat room and then someone would send you a private message and the first thing was usually ASL. And it was. Also, okay. wasn't, now correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the instant messenger or the AOL logo like a little guy running? Yeah. It was a little, I think, just like the white yeah, cut, like paper a, cutout looking thing. Yeah. So. I think that was actually based on me running out of a chat room. <laughs> I'm sure you were not the only one. Yeah, I think that's actually, maybe it was all of us. Maybe that's why they, you know, they didn't actually use my picture because we were all running, you know, in terrified fear out of those chat rooms. In any case, uh, people started hooking up even then. The mid-90s kind of brings us up to the dating and mating world that we recognize today. It was 1995 when Match.com launched as the first online dating site even though all of those other companies existed in the past. This one was very specifically for online dating. And Match, of course, streamlined the process that was going on already on AOL and, ew, Craigslist. (laughs) Just saying. They, you know, of course, allowed singles to select their matches based on things like age and, what did you say, sex and location? Age, sex, location. ASL. I'm learning something right here on the show. (laughs) Recent numbers, though, show Match having 30 million members and getting over 13.5 million visitors a month. And even though there's all the competitors out there, like Tinder and all the others, they say still that Match uh, is responsible for the most dates, relationships, and marriages than any of its competitors. But I'm still going to say Match is not the icon that Tinder is. No, I don't think it is, especially not through all the age ranges. I think, you know, it's it's geared, especially now, and I think even before, was geared towards a little bit of an older audience, not necessarily the 20-somethings of the world. Yeah, I don't know if it started that way in 1995, but in fairness, it and it is, and perhaps you could call it an iconic brand, but it's certainly not an icon in the sense that it's not, you know, as nearly as socially relevant. It's not in every movie and every TV show and in songs and it just doesn't have the same cultural dominance that Tinder does. Absolutely. I think that's just because it's it's considered a quote-unquote traditional website. I'm right. sure they have an app, but yeah, I'm sure they that's do not now. what they're known for. Right. So that's Match. And, of course, we know Tinder is a whole other way of looking at things. But then you also had in 2000 eHarmony coming into the picture, taking things even sort of to a more innocent and tame. So if Tinder went the wild direction, eHarmony went the super safe, sweet direction, if you will, with that whole quiz that they gave you before you could even join to sort of figure out what your personality was all about. It is really interesting. They get really in-depth with some of the things they ask you. 
Yeah, and it was started by Neil Clark Warren, who we've all seen on TV a million times. He's probably more of an icon and more made fun of than eHarmony or Match, right? Absolutely, <laughs> with his random little sitting behind the desk yeah. with a couple and, hey, yeah. a little too excited about yeah. other people's love. Right, but in addition to his you know, work as a relationship counselor and a psychologist, he's a Christian theologian and a seminary professor, and so eHarmony is very sweet. I have to tell you another, this is all about this episode is all about my personal stories. I have to tell you another personal story. In the 1990s, I got married in the early 90s, divorced in the mid-90s, and I decided to go on eHarmony. Lots of my friends were doing it. They were like, this is the way to go. So I spend the time, you know, I'm a single mom. I don't have a lot of time, but I get on the computer and I fill out all the answers to all the questions and I get done and it comes back and says, you have been rejected by eHarmony. Ouch. Yeah. We, there is not a single human being in the entire world that we can match you with. Wow. Basically, it just said, loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just, you know, the, the person was not on eHarmony. That's what it was. Sure. <laughs> no, but I think actually, I mean, I'm actually, this really did happen to me. I'm not making this up. And I know a few other people it happened to as well. And I think it's because I actually answered the questions honestly. So it asks you things about being happy, and I wasn't that happy. I was recently divorced. I was a single mom. I was working my ass off. I'm not happy. Sorry. I mean, I might be happier, maybe if I met somebody. Thanks for sending me, you know, <laughs> off a cliff, eHarmony. But I, I think this, it's an important point, and I think it leads to sort of the creation of a Tinder, right? Because you could lie on those things, and people did lie on Match and on eHarmony. I tried eHarmony. Like, six months later, I was like, all right, I'm going to beat this thing. So I came up with a new profile, you know, email address, and I went back on there and I answered like I was the little happiest sunflower in the in the world. And then then they took me. That was a lie. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, Tinder went the whole opposite direction saying we're we're not we're not we don't care about what your your fake nonsense that you're we just want to know what you look like. Yeah. What do you look like? That's it. <laughs> uh, in any case, that was eHarmony uh, again, launched in about 2000. In 2004, uh, we got OkCupid with its sort of unique questionnaire, which went a different route, more like asking you a question and I think asking you how important that question was to you and what you wanted a potential mate's answer to be. That seems also like a lot of fakery. It was really interesting. I think I got, I jumped on OkCupid to try it once and it was really weird. It would ask you a question, you know, where do you want to live, for example, you know, farmhouse, beach, and then you would answer and then would ask, what do you want from a partner? And you're thinking, in, in a lot of the cases, you're like, well, I prefer the person to just answer the same as me. Right. Well, I, uh, ostensibly for that one, because if they want right. to, if they want to, if you want to live at the beach and they want to live in the mountains, you're going to have a problem. Exactly. But it was interesting, some of the questions that they would have pop up, kind of relating to income and, and, and where you see yourself on a political kind of spectrum and things. So. Uh, the the most interesting was that you could be okay with someone with a completely different answer than you. Right. And that you would actually seek that. I thought that was weird. Right. And again, this all, I think, is leading to why Tinder was able to do what they were able to do. So, of course, that was, again, 2004 when OkCupid came along. And uh, then 2007 happened. And that was not the first, of course, smartphone, but that is when iPhone was launched. And that is really when we saw the app world start to blossom. And so for dating, the first real dating app was Zoosk. I will be honest. I've completely forgotten about Zoosk. And Zoosk is still around. Yeah. Not an icon. Not at all. Would not be an episode of Bizography. 
That is interesting. Yeah. Wonder nothing. why it never caught on very much. And there again, we're building up to why Tinder is Tinder. Zeus went a different route, and they all sort of have been trying different routes. Zeus went the route of let's connect to your Facebook and your social networking sites. And so you can meet friends of friends, that kind of thing. But sort of why do I need Zeus when I can just do that via Facebook? Exactly. You could just go through and say, hey, you know, that person. And if it's a friend of a friend, like theoretically, right. Like if one of your friends thinks I'm cute, first of all, that'd be really weird. (laughs) But, you know, cougar and all, it works. They would just say that to you and you would say it to me and then I would meet them and problem solved. Right. Just to be like, hey, my buddy, here's, can they send you a private message? (laughs) Also, can we talk about branding for a second? Because Zeus, I can't even say that with a straight face. Yeah, what does it even mean? I don't know. Something to do with the zoo animals and skiing? I don't know. I guess, you know, when it comes to dating, zoo animal thing's probably not that far off. So I get what they're going for. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, Zeus is still out there and it was one of the first and it has a certain following. And over the years, it's added features in that are kind of Tinder-like to try to stay relevant. But ultimately, that brings us up to Tinder. It's 2012 when Tinder is born. So with all these predecessors, what made Tinder so famous so fast? We'll talk about it right after this. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So, Dana, why do you think that with all these other ones already, all these other dating services already out there and pretty successful, why do you think Tinder became the icon that it is now? Well, it's a good question. But before we get to why they became the icon, let's look at how they got started, how they became the icon and who they were. Because the how and the who matters. Tinder, as we said, was launched on uh, September 12th, 2012. It was founded by essentially a team so I'm going to list the names. Some of them may mean something. Some of them may not. But it's Sean Rad, Jonathan Badin, Justin Mutteen, if that's not confusing enough, Joe Munoz, Dinesh Morjani, and Whitney Wolf. And they all had sort of different roles to play in this. But Tinder was not sort of a standard startup like we think of now. It wasn't just like a techie who had an idea and then sort of recruited a team of friends looked maybe for some venture money, launched a minimum viable project and, you know, made history. It didn't it didn't go that way. Tinder was actually the result of a competition at a short-lived tech incubator called Hatch Labs. So Hatch was interestingly enough, there's a lot of incubators all over the country. I'm here in Atlanta where we are. You know, we've got Atlanta Tech Village. There are, you know, co-working spaces now. I think people are really familiar with this, but this was at the very beginning, I think, of the world of incubators. And Hatch Labs wasn't just somebody who had an idea to start an incubator. It was launched by a giant corporation called IAC, Interactive Corp., who by no coincidence is the parent company of, wait for it, Match.com. Go figure. Yes. Now, IAC is actually a huge company, and it is not solely focused on dating apps. There's like, I think, 150 or so more apps and brands that they own, and actually started as a media company, USA Networks, things like that. So it, it's not only a dating company, but by no coincidence is it that they also have this whole dating division, essentially. Smell another episode of Bizography coming. Your, your nose is working well. <laughs> you, you, your nose is working well. As I was researching IAC for this, I was realizing that there is quite a story of characters in that story as well. So you never know. Maybe right. this is a preview for that uh, episode as well. But um, based on all of that, you can see that Tinder wasn't that sort of normal entrepreneurial endeavor. It was sort of like an entrepreneurial endeavor, but like with training wheels. I think that's a fair assessment, right? They, they, they built the bike on their own, but they used parts that someone else had already built for them. Right. And they had help. It's like, it's like when, you know, it's like riding the bike when your dad's still holding onto the back and the sides <laughs> and you know, you're not going to fall. I mean, when you're doing it under the umbrella of a giant company, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great way to get started. Um, but it doesn't, to me, have the same sort of risk. You don't get the same heroes who risked everything to create something. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I think they also maybe allows a little bit more of just kind of throwing it against the wall and seeing if it will stick sometimes. Right. And that's a lot of what happens at these incubators. A lot of the ideas don't stick. Well, in this case, Sean Rad, who is sort of the most well-known founder of the group, had landed a role as general manager at Hatch Labs in New York. And in the first week there, he learned that they were doing this company-wide hackathon, and he would have to compete in it. 
So he replies, first of all, this just gives you some insight into his personality. He does a reply all message to all these people who he's just meeting because he's brand new and says, can't wait to meet you all at the hackathon after I destroy you guys. I'm going to win this thing. All right. Yeah. That's kind of, that's, that. I think that that passes the line from confidence into a little bit of arrogance, especially when you're the new guy in is there. It, is it weird that it reminds me of Charlie Sheen? Oh. saying winner <laughs> hashtag winning or something that's what it reminds me of yeah, that's on point. Uh, maybe with a little less drugs um, in any case Sean Rad uh, teams up with another Hatch Labs engineer that's Joe Munoz and the two win the competition behind the scenes though Sean Rad and his buddy Justin Mateen who grew up together they met when they were like 13 or 14 years old also had sold a small tech company or sold his portion of it and had gone to work for Hatch Labs in California. And the two of them had already sort of been talking about putting together some kind of flirting app, which is interesting when you think about it. They didn't start it as a dating app. They had in the back of their heads that it would be a flirting app, which um, is code word for a hookup app. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and I want. I wish we had some visuals here, but I'll paint the picture for you. These are two young 20-something, good-looking guys who have no problem flirting and, I'm assuming, hooking up. That's just a little bit of who they are. And they also come from pretty wealthy families out in L.A. Sean Rad drops out of college after two years. He goes back home. His parents are fine with it. He has a safety net if you will, mm -hmm. as he's going into all of this. In any case, they go in, they build this version, originally called Matchbox, I think, that became Tinder. Get it? Matchbox, <laughs> Tinder. And they win. They win that hackathon. And that's when they decided to throw some more weight behind this project at Hatch Labs. And they brought in uh, Justin from California and then a bunch of these other folks who had been working on other projects with Sean at Hatch Labs or assigned to work with him. And so the only person that sort of doesn't fit that description is Dinesh. And he is the guy who was already working at IAC and founded Hatch Labs. So he's a partner from that standpoint. He sort of like represents the money, if you will, because he represents IAC. And part of the way Hatch Labs worked is that they funded these projects to a certain extent. And then they hoped that they would spin off into their own companies, perhaps get more funding from IAC over time, also from other investors. And then ultimately could potentially be even uh, bought and owned fully by IAC at some time, which would be an advantage for everybody, right? So the founders get to be treated like entrepreneurs. They own a portion of the company. And then if and when it becomes massively successful, IAC, also a shareholder, makes an offer to buy the company. The founders take their money and run and everybody wins. Well, that's a pretty smart uh, incubator idea right from the start there. Yeah, I can see how things would be popping up and successful from that. Right. So ultimately, you know, it's not just that they had this safety net to start or the training wheels that made Tinder iconic, because lots of companies have started with a backup that way, but it's more than that. It's the combination of the traits of the people that were a part of this. So you had Sean Rad and Justin Mateen, and then you had Whitney Wolf, who's 22 at the time she gets involved. These are all young, good-looking privileged people who are building an app for themselves, essentially, one that they and people like them will use and like. And in fact, 
they had the ability, look, they were all, I'm, I'm making them sound less than they were by saying that they were young and good looking and privileged. They were also really smart. And one of the things I think that is sometimes forgotten when you're teaching business is the ability to see a niche or see a problem in a way that someone else hasn't seen it. And these guys looked at all the other dating apps out there and dating sites out there, and they said, this is not following human behavior. It's not the same. It's not people interacting the way that humans interact. In fact, I think Sean Rad explains it best himself. Meeting new people is a challenge, and one of the biggest challenges, you either have to put yourself out there and walk up to somebody, and you feel like you're about to be rejected, or on the other end, somebody's coming after you, and it's just overwhelming. So there's this like natural friction between people, and we just wanted to break that down and make it simple. And it's simple when you know that somebody you want to meet also wants to meet you back. It just, um, it's almost like that moment when you walk into a room and you look at somebody across the room and they look at you back everything just becomes a lot more simple. But in the room, you're actually in person. And Here, you're, like, you're just swiping through people's pictures, right? But I mean, in the room, you're sort of doing the same thing. You're looking at people across the room and you're making these initial impressions, saying yes and no in your head. So Tinder is meant to emulate the real world. So the looks-based first impression matching closely mimics what people do at bars. This is what Sean and Justin and Whitney and all of their friends are doing every time they go hang out at the bar. That's far closer to human behavior than what Match does and what Zeusk does and what eHarmony does. I mean, when's the last time you walked up to someone in a bar and asked them to answer 56 questions about whether or not they're happy? Um, yeah, never. Right. No, that doesn't happen. Right. So that was one of the reasons. Now we're starting to get to why Tinder is iconic. That's one of the reasons, right? The second reason is the double opt-in. All of the other sites, you read a profile and you reach out to somebody. Hi, um, I really liked your profile and especially the part about your dog. And um, so maybe we could date each other if you are interested. And then you wait around and the person either ignores you or rejects you and you feel like a loser and it sucks. And Tinder saw a way around that. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Because that's the one I think that that's the biggest obstacle for people in dating in general, though, is the rejection aspect. It's not a matter of finding a long-term partner or you click, right? It's, God, I really hate when they go, ugh, and they walk away. Oh, that hurts so bad. Right. Yeah. So they got rid of the rejection. By the way, it didn't start with swipes. It started with clicks. And if both people clicked yes, essentially, and now that means we know swipe right, which came a little bit later, then you got matched and then you made the approach. You didn't make an approach unless you knew the other person was already interested. I think that does make a big difference, though, for sure, with, with the whole way that that operates. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing about the app. It was gamified. It made it, it was faster and easier than any of the other apps out there. Back in 2006, uh, Chip and Dan Heath wrote a book called Made to Stick. And it's really more about ideas being sticky than applications. And sticky meaning, you know, it, it sticks in your brain. Get your mind out of the gutter, mm, new guy, no, I was Nick. I to say, sure, sticks in your brain. Okay. I know. Okay. We're talking okay. about hooking up, and I'm going down the road of using the word sticky. Let's just get it all out. Get it all out. Ew. I know. It just makes me think of Craigslist. What can I tell you? Yeah, we can't do that on Craigslist anymore. Okay, that's good. <laughs> In any case, the concepts in the book, Made to Stick, can really be applied to what Tinder did, right? I mean, one of the most important concepts in the book is simplicity. 
If you can keep it simple, people will understand it. They will like it. They will want to use it. So there's a lot to that. And that is a lot of what Tinder did. There's also branding. We talked about Zeusk and what that, what does that mean? Tinder, you get it. It's fire. The, the icon, the logo shows it. You get it right away. It's a good way to spark the flame. Right. The whole point of it. There you that go. Makes sense. Right. And so I think a lot of what they did, both from a marketing standpoint and from the product itself, was just really easy for people to understand. It was fast. The idea of just swiping quickly through and doing it on your mobile phone while you're waiting in line at the grocery store is a whole different thing, far easier than sitting in front of your computer for hours on match trying to weed through profiles. Absolutely. Like you said, it mimics real life in that sense because you walk into a bar and in your mind you're swiping. Yes, yes, no, no, yes, no, no, yes. With all the people that you're looking at in the bar. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. And frankly, you're doing that. If you're single, you are doing that at the grocery store too. Right. Right? Like you're looking wherever you are. You're looking around for that cute man or woman or whatever it is you're looking for. And you're mentally swiping right and left. Absolutely. I mean, I think everyone has at one point in time been in the grocery store or something and caught that person in line or the cashier or whoever. And you just sneak a glance at the left hand just to see if there's a ring or not. Because you've already swiped right on them in your mind. Everyone's done it. (laughs) Then there's the marketing strategy. The marketing strategy was also genius. They didn't start doing mainstream commercials. They went to the people that were just like them. They went back to USC, where Sean Rad had gone to college and dropped out, and where Justin, I believe, had also gone to college. And they started promoting to the sororities and fraternities, the people that they knew who were like them, who were pretty privileged people who could attract someone with their looks. And the rest is kind of history. All of the elements that made the program work were there. So where are they now? We'll talk about it next. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. 
Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. The nature of the app, the nature of Tinder, has always sort of courted controversy. It was it was sort of set up to do nothing but as a hot hookup app. I mean, it's an app with a flame as the icon. And of course it has. There are claims of the app sexualizing dating. There are claims of links between Tinder and increased infidelity. And there are even stories of Tinder murders, which is horrible. The nature of the app, though, can't be held responsible for the corporate culture and the huge entanglement of lawsuits, some that are now over and some that are going on to this day. The most well-known of the lawsuits was in 2014, in June of that year, when Whitney Wolf, who we've already talked about, one of the co-founders and the now former VP of marketing, filed sexual harassment charges against the parent company, that's IAC. Her claim had to do with interactions between herself and Justin Mateen, who was her former boyfriend, and at that stage, the CMO, and also really Sean Rad. She claimed that her title of co-founder was stripped away from her because of her gender, and she said that Justin had told her that having a female co-founder devalued the company. That was the reason he gave. She then allegedly complained to Sean Rad, who basically either ignored her or called her a dramatic or emotional girl. Kind of sounds a little bit like the mayor who put poor Helen Morrison in jail back in the day. But when they broke up, Justin Mateen went on to call Whitney Wolf a desperate loser, which would be bad enough. But he did it in a marketing meeting in front of others. He also told Sean Rad that she was an alcoholic, sent her harassing texts, which was his biggest mistake because she kept them. And Sean Rad really didn't do anything about it. Ultimately, Whitney Wolf resigned in 2014 because Justin went too far this time and called her a whore at the company party. Man, what is wrong with this guy? Well, all of them. That's what I mean about the culture and about who they were. Then for the time after that, the years after that, Justin and Sean were sort of kicked out of their positions and then came back in and then kicked out and came back in and all of that. And ultimately, Whitney Wolf took a $1 million settlement to walk away. And the agreement, the settlement was never really fully disclosed. So we don't really know what she agreed to, except for that she got a million dollars. And clearly, it didn't keep Sean Rad or Justin Mateen from continuing to be involved in the company because they were. Now, a lot of people know what Whitney Wolf did next was go off and start Bumble, which is a successful dating site on its own. But more stuff went on, even starting in 2014, that made the company sort of a, a symbol of, well, ickiness. Forget stickiness. They've also got ickiness. That same year, 2014, after Whitney Wolf came forward, other former Tinder employees also came forward, went to the press and saying that there was a ton of sexism and sexual harassment in that company. And to make matters worse, in 2014, there started to be cybersecurity issues, data privacy issues, and even public health concerns about Tinder. 
So, for example, public health officials in Rhode Island and Utah said that Tinder and similar apps were responsible for STDs on the rise. And researchers in New York found a flaw that allowed people to find the locations of other users, which is kind of scary. In 2015, that kind of stuff continued. And Sean Rad even gave a really awful and infamous interview to the London Evening Standard that kind of got him in some more trouble. It was even more sort of bro-y and gross than some of the earlier stuff. And all of that sort of research continued about how ugly the new world of Tinder sort of was. We even had a report as recently as 2017 from the Department of Communication Studies at Texas Tech where they looked at how people were using the app and how infidelity was tied to the app. And results were showing that close to 65% of people had seen somebody on Tinder who they knew was in an exclusive relationship. 71% of people reported that they knew male friends who used Tinder while in a relationship. 56% said they knew female friends who used Tinder while in a relationship. So it wasn't just the boys being bad. (laughs) One of the other things that has sort of come to light about the app is that it is far more male-dominated than female. I don't think that's much of a surprise, though. I think probably most of the dating sites were that way, probably. So then the question is, as a guy, I mean, I know that you can answer honestly because you're not single right now, so you're just talking about other people. Right. But how would you feel about that? I mean, if you know that there's way more men on it than women, don't you feel a little bit like, why bother? Ah, well, I I think the male mentality is generally just you get out there and you put it out there and eventually something will come of it. So even if there's more men than women... Not all the women are going to be taken by another guy by the time I get there. Right. So I'll find one, right? Yeah. So in any case, all of this to say that while the app continues to be popular and while a lot of people aren't aware of all of the lawsuits and entanglements, and there are others, IAC is suing Bumble, and and now the original founders, Sean Rad and Justin Mateen and some of those guys are actually suing IAC, saying they didn't get their fair share of the money. So the whole thing is very fraught, but a lot of the users don't know about that, don't care about that. What I think they do worry about are some of the stories about safety, whether it's data safety, cyber safety, or personal safety. The Tinder murders stories are pretty scary. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine did an expose on a variety of Tinder murders, and there's not just one. There's a whole host of them. So, you know, even though, you know, in 2018 and now moving into 2019, Tinder is ostensibly doing very well. The Match Group last year said that Tinder had over 3.7 million paid subscribers and that that number had gone up 81% in a year. While all that's going on, you do have to wonder how long Tinder will remain popular and if there might not be some historical lessons that we now know about that might tell us otherwise. What are the ups and downs that we've seen in the public trust in dating overall, and will those affect Tinder in the long run? If people stop trusting it, will they stop using it? If they're not sure if it's safe personally to use it, if they're not sure if their data is safe, will they continue to use it? And if they're not sure there's any real women on it, will they continue (laughs) to use it? And then there's the technology changing. For example, I'm pretty sure the Gen Zers out there will have no idea what this is. You've got mail. So the future remains to be seen. But for now, people are enjoying (laughs) Tinder uh, and they're enjoying making fun of Tinder. 
obviously. So it's going to be part of the cultural story of the early 2000s forever. It's minted into history. But the future does remain to be seen. For now, over 49 million people are said to have used online dating overall. There are about 8,000 sites out there. At the end of the day, we humans love love and sex and having stuff to make fun of. And as long as that's the case, there will be companies out there to sell us new ways to find it. That's our show for today. See you next time. Bizography is produced by the iHeart Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dana Barrett. My co-host and producer is Nick Bean. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis, and Josh Thane provides audio production. Have questions? Want to give us feedback or have a company you'd like us to cover? Email us at info at bizography.show or contact us on social. I'm at the Dana Barrett on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or just search for me on LinkedIn. Thanks for your support. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.